Excellent. All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the third in Balone Advisors Better World podcast series. This one talking about all things decarbonising commercial property. It follows on from a report that was completed last week on the subject that you can read on the Balone Advisors website. Uh, but I've got a stellar panel joining me this evening uh, to talk through the subjects in more detail. And in no particular order, they are as follows. First up, we've got David Travis, who's Development Director of Hargreaves Land, part of Hargreaves Services PLC. He runs Hargreaves Land's central team out of Leeds. He's got responsibility for a number of schemes, including Unity in Doncaster, 2 million square feet of employment space and 3,000 new homes. He's highly experienced at delivering new commercial property, uh, and he was the person who helped to bring in McLaren Automotive to Rotherham. Uh, this podcast is a uh, strictly football-free zone, given Doncaster Rovers' current position. Good evening, Dave. Good evening, mate. I don't really think there's a lot I can say about Doncaster Rovers' current position, Tom. Was, but uh, nice, nice to uh, nice to see you all, and uh, thank you for the invite. Absolute pleasure. Next up, we've got Will Church, who's Executive Director of CBRE Capital Advisors. Uh, he's a key member uh, of their investment advisory lending team uh, with a key specialism uh, in enabling the public sector to invest in regional development uh, with uh, around £500 million currently under management across the UK. He also holds the dubious distinction of having done deals with each of the four people on this call tonight. Good evening, Will. Uh, hi, Ian. Uh, nice to be here with you all. Um, Actually, I've only done a deal with the three other people on the call because I haven't done one with myself yet, but I will do no, uh, at some I'm, point in time, no doubt. No, you're quite, you're, you're quite right to point out my dodgy arithmetic. I was hoping there's something to turn up there. But anyway, and finally, and we're just currently awaiting her on the call, Kitty Patmore uh, is currently Chief Financial Officer at Leading Land and Regeneration Company, Howarth Group. A position that she's held for the past three years. Uh, she's got a really strong capital markets background with over 15 years in financing, banking and real estate experience for a number of employers. Uh, she's also a non-executive director at London Metric PLC and I've yet to meet a harder working professional in real estate. However, as is uh, the, usually the case with Kitty, she's late on the call so I'm sure uh, I'll be adding her to the panel uh, when she joins the call. But we'll kick off with the two of you gents because... Um, this is a major topic. Tomo. Which you could spend. Yes, Tomo. Dave. Yeah. Sorry, mate. K- Kitty did join. I know you can edit it. She did join and then drop off. I didn't know whether she heard us going and she thought she shouldn't join. I don't know if you wanted to give her a bell or just carry on. No, we'll, we'll continue. In, uh, Kitty's, got the, uh, Kitty's got the link, so we'll uh, wait to see her join the call and then we can, we can take it from there, Dave. But the, uh, the key thing with this is that I could spend hours and hours talking about individual elements of decarbonising commercial property. You know, the report states that you need to do it in order to get anywhere near net zero 2050. But uh, the, the first uh, question is a really um, pointed, open-ended question, and that is, does decarbonising property really matter to the property industry in 2022? And Dave, you love tackling trenchant subjects. Let's see your response to that one. I, I think the question... I mean, it, it's an intentionally general question, Ian, and, and I get that. I mean, it's being honest, it's the same question as, you know, does diversity and inclusion really matter to the property industry? I, I think, you know, in, in general and the for majority, yes, it does. Um, you know, for for me personally, I'm a father of two. My kids are five and two. Um, there has to be more than just profit. 
and you know again i i work for a plc so i'm speaking for me personally rather than anything wider but you know we we've been quite late to the party in terms of the esg movement and building everything through but you know i think now you are starting to see a lot of movement within the industry um you're starting to see it really hit home with occupiers with funders in particular and obviously will on the call now um i'm sure will come in as the same um I think in general, mate, it, it, it depends on who you are and who you are speaking to. You know, you, the way it's been set up by government, and I know it's something I'll come on to later, it's been very toothless. Um, and I think it's been left to individuals too much. It's been almost trickle-down economics. Um, and I think in terms of decarbonisation agenda, um, without being scathing they've done what they needed to do to get stuff through i think there's more that the government could have done i think there's more that they could have done in terms of stick to get the industry to effectively come into line but yes it is starting to trickle through i mean again you know we look now and i'm sure will all say from a funding perspective it's very difficult to get funding for anything that isn't effectively you know a a decarbonized property at the moment um it's Occupier wise, I don't think it's anywhere near as prevalent as it should be. And again, I think that's something that could potentially be brought into line to try and give more stick to occupiers. Um, we're a large PLC and there's the TCFD regs that are coming in next April, which means that, you know, for us, carbon reporting and wider business reporting will hit from a, a plc perspective and a plc basis so there's a lot that we've had to learn relatively quickly to get up to speed um but if you look at smaller developers if you look at smaller occupiers you know if you look at aged and old landowners who are sat there with sort of secondary tertiary estates um i don't think it does matter i think they are as it has been you know property is not an altruistic profession it does deliver on profit and I think there are a few people who are trying to kick it into the long grass as well as they can do. But I, I, I think the tide is really rapidly starting to turn. Mm. And so you're, you're almost viewing it as a two or three stage commercial property market as people respond to it. And you were talking about carrot and stick, Dave, you know, and you mentioned about government intervention. Now, clearly government can't intervene everywhere. But are you thinking that, you know, in terms of a carrot you would look to national incentives for certain buildings in line with i don't know some form of retrofit program for existing properties but then with the stick being uh, an acceleration of epc ratings you'd expect buildings to get to in certain years i i think i think epcs have to be linked to business rates personally um i mean it's i think in terms of the teeth that the government need to try and drive through the agenda um, I think that's the logical step that's going to hit developer, funder, occupier, all as one. Um, you know, you, you, you speak to occupiers and the majority of occupiers who aren't large corporates about EPCs. I mean, you even look at the way EPCs were set up, the regulation that was put on in terms of people who could do EPCs and how the, the EPCs themselves are modelled and the detail that's put in. You know, you, you could get three different EPC assessors valuing a building with completely polar ratings that came out the other way it's only now that they've started to clamp down on it and start to look through and again you know people are only now bothered because 
you've got the triggers that are coming in in terms of where you know you can't effectively occupy personally that needs to go a stage further it needs to be linked to business rates that's the way that effectively you're going to get people paying attention because it hits them in the pocket mm. will fairly punchy opinions there from, from dave as ever would you agree with his um pointed experience and, and view well um so yeah a, a, a great dose of realism there um dave thank you uh, and and to, to some extent i can I completely agree that there are there are entities in the, in the real estate industry who who might not care, but I do think it still, but I do think it matters to them and and the, and the longevity of any business. So if they're, unless they're running to the tail of whatever they do, I think I think it does matter to their business in the longer term. But I to, I totally take the point that here and now today, um, they they can make money by by ignoring it. But, but it's not a long-term strategy. And actually, talking about whether it matters to the property industry, I don't think it's unfair to say that um, when I met everyone on this uh, podcast first, however many years ago, uh, don't think any of us could have spoken from a position of genuine understanding of how to decarbonize well maybe we don't entirely know how to decarbonize the industry but we know but we can speak about it it's, and it's become our everyday language and you've now got you've got a podcast on decarbonizing buildings and every person on the panel is not an esg or environmental specialist they're a real estate specialist and i think that that shows how seriously the property industry is starting to take it um and actually the reason it matters to the property industry is because it matters to every industry and um, the real estate, the carbon created by occupying real estate will be the biggest part of many occupiers footprint and, and the pressure on that will come more and more. It, Dave, yes, it totally relies on um, all the legislation coming through and I, I absolutely agree there seems to be a, a real kind of, it's just very slow coming through, isn't it? But um, and that does need to happen. But that, but it will happen, I think, and that's that's why it's so important. Um, the, the government's sixth carbon budget enshrining a 78 percent drop in emissions by twenty thirty five. Yes, I did. I w I was uh, helped with that statistic and that, uh, that that kind of little nugget there. But actually, to get to that, there will be massive pressure on. Um, on the lowest hanging fruit, which has to be that, that will deliver big savings, and that that probably real estate's right at the front of that. Um, so, to, kind of to sum it up, yeah, it really does matter to the property industry because it matters to all industries, and um, and we are, you know, everyone we advise wants ESG or or, or environmental or decarbonisation advice fully integrated in in what we talk about when we talk about, and that's. I think that's a two or three year change. I don't think it's I don't think it's happened in a, a longer time frame than that. Thanks. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm going to come on to whether things have been accelerated since the pandemic and whether that's that's changed people's attitudes. But we've now got uh, Kitty now on the line. Good evening, Kitty. Hi, Ian. Hi, Dave. Hi, Will. Sorry, I'm Hello. a little bit late. It was just sort of finishing um, finishing an investor call, which is probably a, an, an interesting um, sort of perspective to, to bring into this um, sort of as well. So so I think I, I sort of came at it sort of maybe similarly to, to Will there. 
that um, you know the UK's got sort of fairly um, fairly ambitious um, targets, and that for a lot of companies, sort of real estate is um, is a massive part of, sort of the footprint as well. And really, to reach those targets, that means that the legislation really starts to needs to start kicking in sort of now and over the course of um, of the next sort of ten years or so to really to set that approach. So I think it it really does matter to, to the property industry because I think it matters to the UK. Um, and so, so I was similar to, to Will in that respect. I, I think sort of to, to Dave's point, what you're seeing is maybe sort of the bigger companies, sort of listed companies leading the way. And I think this has bluntly come because I think the investors are pushing it. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons that you're seeing change. So it's very rare for, for me to have a conversation with investors these days where we, we don't talk about ESG and, and more specifically sort of around um, decarbonizing um, property. And, and the reason for that is it's probably the bit that we're starting to get a little bit more traction on of the of the ESG sort of path, um, pathway. Um, so, so I think it really matters for, for the industry. It's being driven by investors. I think you're going to see that sort of filter filter down because ultimately, if investors are driving it, it's going to drive um, sort of company behaviours, and that will, in time, sort of go through sort of the rest of, of the industry. But I, I think sort of what what I'm seeing is that the approach is still very much emerging, and and it feels like people are still finding their way. Um, so we we as Will says we're all learning. Definitely learned a lot over the last couple of years. I have to say I still think every day is sort of a bit of a school day on on this topic. There always seems to be more more we can learn. Um, but there's very little sort of cohesion in the industry at the moment on um, on how to sort of reach reach targets um and um and i think sort of the the focus to date has been sort of maybe on sort of built stock or individual building delivery uh, but it's not looked sort of more broadly too so i think it really matters but there's a lot that the property industry needs to do to actually sort of translate that into um into a lot of action yeah, i think that's very very fair i mean initially i was going to come on to the next question which was around how behavior has changed over the past two to three years with the COVID-19 pandemic but you know I'll, I'll come back to you Kitty I mean where, where have you where have you seen behavior not change within the industry and and where, where that's a great risk oh gosh not change um I mean, I, I think that it's been slower, certainly, to change on the occupational side. Um, but I think we are starting to see change there. So, so interestingly, I think probably the change on that side is occurring not as a result of COVID-19, but the current energy crisis is actually focusing everyone's minds on, you know, actually, what does that mean for, for operating my building? Um, and um, and therefore, this is maybe something that that's um, that I want to um, I want to sort of focus a little bit more on. Um, I think what's been interesting interesting is over the last couple of years has been sort of much more increased um, reporting requirements. So as a listed company, we we now have to report sort of much more substantially. Um, uh, through TCFD, for example, but also through the, the demands from our investors. But where you're not seeing change is um, is within sort of the industry developing any form of common metric that would enable you to assess sort of how well you're doing against that or against sort of your peers as well. So, um, so there are yeah, there's definitely bits that aren't changing as well. So, I mean, would you? 
I mean, I, we've discussed this at length before, but would you imagine some kind of, you know, leading measurement system coming to the fore over the next five years or sooner where people can actually unify the way they report against buildings? Or do you think I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> do you think that's pie in the sky thinking? Oh, you know, I would, I would, I would love it to some extent. So I think, yes, there the should be for um, maybe for sort of, uh, for sort of built properties, for example, and for um, for maybe some commercial developments, there should be some form of um, sort of sort of a bit more clarity. Uh, and I know sort of the UK GBC are working on some of this to to enable sort of comparisons. So more broadly on corporate reporting, you know, I have an absolute hatred for all of the greenwashing that um that occurs um and i think if there was a little bit more consistency on corporate reporting that would enable people to see who is actually making change and and delivering authentically and um and those people that are just spending an awful lot of money on marketing budgets <laughs> yeah well, that's absolutely right you've also hit on one of dave's main uh great greenwashing uh Mr. Travis, would you, uh, in, in, in terms of what you've seen in terms of behaviour, good, bad and ugly, what would you say has changed over the past two and a half years? I mean, again, I think in, in my experience, it, it depends who you're talking to. Um, I mean, again, you know, we, we probably see the, the full spectrum of um, occupiers, funders, um, sites, really. Um, you know, again, you're uh, positively... Yes, there is a massive change in terms of occupiers. I think there's, you know, the pandemic itself has completely changed a lot of older execs in terms of the way they treat the staff and the way they need to treat the staff and how they retain staff as much as anything. And, you know, naturally that flows through in terms of the property solution. You know, I think that similar to what Kitty said, I think that has come hand in hand with, um, the availability of staff you know you've had obviously brexit take a, a certain proportion of staff out of the workforce you've had the pandemic which has you know caused a lot of people in their 40s and 50s to reconsider and effectively leave the workforce altogether and i think you know that's had a knock-on effect for the whole industry um you know not not to do with decarbonizing property but as part of the same is how you view your property is a key part of retaining your workforce and you know that that's changed completely in terms of city centre offices. Um, you know, I think, again, that has changed in terms of planning policy around city centre offices and, you know, being sat in the middle of Leeds, um, you know, Leeds and their draft local plan that is now out for consultation in part one. I was amazed at the, at the depth that Leeds as an authority have led the charge and, you know, effectively what they're putting in in their planning policy now about, you know, whole life cycle carbon of buildings, effectively, you know, taking a leap and accelerating um, the phasing out of gas, you know, effectively panel radiators. Um, they're massively buying into the 20 minute neighborhood concept and enshrining that in planning policy. And, you know, again, for somebody investing into leads you know that's a little bit i'm saying about the stick but equally i think occupiers realize they can't just look at buildings as somewhere just to you know effectively put a roof over people's heads anymore they they, they have to be something to entice people back they have to be something that fosters group working they have to be something that really leads the culture of a business because 
you know, you've had the bananaing of work from home. Um, obviously, we, we're heading into a bit of rocky waters and there's all the articles about, you know, presenteeism again and people wanting to feel as though they have to be back into the office to, to support the job and support the roles. But I, I think to a certain extent, that's a natural phenomenon of sort of work from home. And, you know, people have choice now. They never used to have choice. People are being given a choice depending on what size of business you are. Um, and, you know, culture, I think that the biggest change has been occupiers seeing an office, a building being as key to their culture, which is a really positive change for me. Mm. Okay. I mean, we're going to come on to... Um occupier interest and occupier behaviour shortly. It's interesting with Leeds that Leeds, in terms of external pressures on the industry, Leeds is committed to making itself carbon neutral by 2030, which I think is the most radical of uh, targets across local authorities in, in the UK. And it, it states that tackling climate change is an important part of its central council plan. But I mean, clearly that might not uh, apply across all areas. I mean, tied to that will, I mean, you've got investment mandates all across the UK, uh, including beyond England. I mean, do you see behaviour changing from region to region? Or do you think that, you know, that there are general themes coming forward in the way that people are tackling the issue? Um, yeah, well, I think I think so. But, it, um, you know, we get involved at the, at the first part of the, the property cycle very often for, for those regional funds that you're alluding to where, where, you know, we're supporting developers um, and the change has very much gone from, we set the Evergreen Fund up 11 years ago and when we were, you know, we were asking people for minimum BRIAM standards and what were their policies on decarbonisation and, uh, you know, broader ESG agendas than that, they'd sort of look at you sideways and try and work out what they could get away with and what, what, what we'd let them do. But, um that that's changed significantly probably in the last two or three years so you now find uh it's almost a race to keep up with some of the better developers um in terms of what they're what they're proposing to do to decarbonize what they're building uh, and to kind of future proof their stock which is which is great to see um and does bode well for the future as as obsolete stock gets replaced i suppose um but in terms of region to region there is a viability. I tried not to get into this today, and I've started it. But there is a viability question, isn't there? So, you know, we are. We do need. We do need um, employment sites in areas where the the sort of the real estate rents don't support um, don't support the cost of building buildings that are kind of modern in terms of their environmental credentials. Uh, and it and it's about how those local authorities and those regions can work to kind of improve that stock using various different ways of trying to encourage higher rentals, I suppose. And actually, there is a, there, you know, there are examples of where we've supported better quality stock where um, actually by providing better stuff, the, 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 the rental tone's been improved or, or, or you've breached a level that thought could never be breached in that area. That that is a way that the, the, the local authority funds can kind of try and lead the charge a little bit. But there, there definitely is a there is a difference but uh, from region to region. But in every region, there's a desire to go as far as is possible, but at the same time, 
actually be able to deliver stock for, for employment use. Yeah, because that's, that's something that I'm keen to, to, to stick on, Will, with you, I mean, which is around this idea of better quality stock and how demanding are new occupiers being when it comes to the, to the property that they the, the eventually take? And are they prepared to pay for it? You mentioned that you've had a couple of examples there where people have uh, elected to pay a higher rent, where, you know, it sets a new tone for the area. But what, what challenges are within that? Um, so th th there definitely is a case of if you build the best building from an environmental perspective, you will get better better tenants and faster lettings. There's no doubt about that because there is there is a shortage of that type of stock. But um, whether the whether every market could uh, could handle that kind of stuff being built as the only thing that was being delivered and and then get it all let, I I don't know. And I'm actually I'm not going to opine on that because you've got uh, you've got Dave and Kitty on the line who who deal with occupiers more directly than I do. And um, but from what I can see, we we fund. We do fund the the, the uh, because of the requirements of our money. We do fund the better kit in terms of environmental performance, and I don't see I don't see a difficulty letting that. Is my experience on the ground, and I do I do think that kind of kit, whilst there's a shortage, will let mm. will let better and faster. I think there's, so, there's will sorry this just potato, Dave. Yeah, I mean, just I, I think the the lack of availability of stock has really hindered. Um, concrete evidence of what you're suggesting, Ian, you know, in terms of uh, industrial voids are down at two, three percent now nationally. And, you know, all of the new stuff that's been available and come through, as Will has said, is because of the pressure from funders. It's all, you know, EPCA, A plus, it's effectively Brian very good and, and better, which, you know, is a massive positive for me in terms of the industry and effectively stuff coming through, I suppose, because occupiers haven't had a lot of choice it's difficult to try and pin the occupier saying yes i would pay a pound a foot more for that that and that because they haven't had that choice to make that choice um you know i think the coming back to the point that you said earlier my, my worry is sme stock um and you know you look at the minute there's um Stockport Council are bringing out Cheadle and the Eco Park, which is specifically, you know, units from four to 30,000 square feet in a small scheme that they're doing. That's my worry is I don't bear in mind where build costs are, bear in mind what's happened in terms of in, industrial yields and investment yields in the last two, three months. I'm struggling to see how that gets built in the next two, three years. Um, I mean, again, you know, Aside from local authorities or people who are prepared to take a moral stand and effectively push it through, um, bill costs aren't going to come down. And, you know, there's, there's a scheme that we've been looking at where I can't afford to pay a land value for, a, a, for an SME scheme purely because of what's happened with those two parts of the appraisal. And, you know, it's something that I've been working on for the last six and nine months to get through. I, I think that's going to be the big struggle is, is for the next... What, what until that settles down and until the market settles down and until effectively we get that repricing it's the it's the sme stock that i think worries me mostly for the next couple of years because i don't see where it's going to come from so do you see local authorities being provider of last resort then either as landlord or taking head leases on positions i think to a certain extent they have to i mean you know sites that we've got um we, we, 
morally, I'd love to let to, you know, effectively, there's, there are a lot of new start, new tech business coming out in the green revolution. The problem you've got is they've got no covenant. Um, and, you know, in terms of where the appraisals are at the minute, I think you have to, you have to get local authorities or city regions stepping in to try and fill that viability gap because, you know, I come back to the point on stock, um, they've nowhere else to go. Um, and, you know, you're, you're a new start clean green energy business. You need to be in, you know, a similar building, which is sort of something that can help you lead the charge. The problem is there aren't any. And if you're looking at doing a DMB and you don't have a covenant, you can't make it stack. Interesting. Uh, Kitty, I mean, you, you know, you, you are CFO for a very interesting income portfolio, all the way from blue chip companies <laughs> to Koi carp fishermen uh, at certain business parks. I mean, what, what sort of um, evidence have you seen from uh, occupiers that you've been speaking to about letting space on the Harworth portfolio? Yeah, so, so I agree with with a, a lot of um, what's been what's been said so, so far, and I think we're we're doing sort of both. We've got the um, existing portfolio in, and then we're also sort of building quite a bit um, as well at the moment. Um, so, so Will's been kindly helping us sort of fund all sorts of different schemes sort of across the the portfolio. But I I think sort of a few interesting takeaways. So, so we've got um, in all of the um, leases that we have put in place on sort of new buildings that, that we've built this year, we've introduced green terms into those leases. So um, all of them include sort of renewable energy provision, for example, and that means that we've done sort of probably a few hundred thousand square feet of lettings with, with green leases. Um, I think that's really positive that the tenants are, are taking those. Um, I would be very much in the same camp as, as Will, for example, in saying that I think that that enables you to let your units more quickly, um, having sort of the quality stock and, and then sort of reflecting that through sort of renewable energy. It makes the letting up process quicker, they're more liquid, you, you probably get better quality tenants. I, I'm not convinced it drives higher rents. I, I think people look at it sort of in the round at the moment of it's a high quality product, so it's sort of what I expect for, for that product rather than um, unnecessary paying extra um, for, for sort of green provisions. Um, I think sort of when, when you look across sort of then the existing portfolio, um, we have some really interesting conversations with existing tenants around um, opportunities to reduce energy costs in particular. So looking at sort of retrofitting solar, they seem particularly interested um, sort of around that. So I think there are pockets of that. Um, I think to, to, to Dave's point, we, we are building some units for, for smaller sort of SMEs. Um, as a company, we've sort of made the decision to invest in sort of high, high quality units um, because we see sort of the long term um, for, for those units. And, and I think it comes to an area that I'm probably sort of more concerned about when it comes to occupiers, which is probably um, for um, for older stock and, and then for sort of the SMEs within that sort of space. Um, so we're, even though we're building smaller units, we, we are specking them well because we, we're sort of very much looking towards sort of future upgrade costs. Um, and I think there's quite a difficult set of conversations coming between sort of landlords and, and tenants around the upgrading of, of older stock, the need to meet sort of EPC sort of regulations, 
um and uh, and you know we say how much how demanding are occupiers being when it comes to to properties that they let but there may be some properties that that can't even be let and and who picks up the the bill for upgrading mm. those when for instance there's maybe no uplift in rents to uh mm. compensate the the landlord for for doing those works so i think that's that's a tricky area um but on the new stuff i, I think you, you are at least seeing it making it sort of a more liquid type of asset absolutely and as ever a beautiful segue into the uh, the, ne the next part of the discussion because the you know, when did the report? I, I, I'll be honest. I'd never heard of something called a brown discount before. <laughs> yeah. so I actually put the uh, put the report together. But the, what you just alluded to there, Kitty, is do you think there is a, a green premium and, and brown discount market? So do you, do you envision a situation where, you know, uh, companies that have I'd know EPCD, EPCE, dare I say EPCF, um, business parks going to bring them to the market now to get a lower but at least they can get a, an exit ahead of potentially uh, energy regs becoming more and more stringent in future. Oh gosh, I think um, I think it's it's really um, quite a complicated um, question, actually. Ian. so I think sort of there's two parts to it. I think if I can take a slightly different slant first, and then I'll come back to answer that bit, which is. Um, so when you're thinking about the sort of newer properties and, and thinking about sort of whether there are green premiums attached to those, my, my personal view is I think the market's not yet sure how to price those. Um, so, so I don't think you've got evidence of, um, of green premiums really at the moment. And I think there's a lot more evidence that needs to come through to, for the market to sort of make a decision on it. So we need to see where construction costs land. We need to see where funding costs land. I think we need to look at what happens to sort of rents and lease changes. We need to see what happens to sort of planning requirements. Um, so I think we will start to see evidence which will help us to, to form a view, but, but I don't think it's there just yet. Um, in terms of brown discount, I think I'm really conscious that standing right here, at this point in time at the moment, you have quite a dysfunctional investment market. Um, there's there's quite a lot of investment stock that's on the market at the moment has come on since either since the summer or since September. So there's a lot of property out there um, and um, and investors that are buying at the moment are either um, buying for specific reasons, the sort of special purchases or, or there's quite a weight of money that's out there and being very opportunistic in buying. And I think that brown discount is starting to get talked about as part of those negotiations, whether that is a real brown discount or whether that is just a function of um, where we are at this point in the property cycle. I, I think it's probably more the latter. And again, I think um, I think there probably isn't an overall consensus on on whether there will be sort of a brown discount just yet. I think people are taking advantage of of the market if they are talking about that and using that as part of a negotiation tactic. Um, and overall, I think my view is over time the whole market should probably come to to the same place, but it will feed through in different ways on different types of assets. Thanks, Kitty. Will do you want to? come in there with you because uh, Kitty hit one of your uh, favourite topics which is yield pricing uh, yeah well there's there's valuers I'd refer you to who are better at that than, uh, than, than me but um, I, I, I think Kitty's right it's really not clear what um, what the premium is attached to, uh, to, to high quality buildings because let's face it usually a, 
a really a building with uh, really good environmental um, and decarbonisation aspects to it will be in a good location from a good developer and and um, or, or will be let to a great covenant. So they kind of go hand in hand and you, you're probably at a point where really good stock just has to have that, just have to have quality environmental fundamentals behind it. Um, so, but how you decouple that, yeah, that that's definitely something that all valuers will be struggling with at the moment and trying to work out. Um, in terms of secondary stock or, or, or um, brown discounts, I think the upgradability to sensible environmental uh, or EPC or whatever it might be becomes the definition of secondary stock probably. So, you know, previously it might have been in a in a location that was that was uh, coming to its, the end of, it, of its useful life. But, it, you know, if you're looking at buying a building that's let to a that's let for seven years and at the end of it, what, what can actually happen to it, even if it's a fairly good covenant for those seven years? I'm, I don't know. I think that is a really good um, example of uh, of what Kitty said, where where that becomes something to to chip on price. Um, but actually, for me in my day to day life, it isn't about green premiums and brown discounts. The thing that the thing that um, worries me is is uh, kind of stranded assets because you know if we're funding a development, we need someone to come along and either buy it or refinance it once it's completed. And um, the speed things have moved, you know, typical loan length of three years. Um, what are the what are the requirements going to be for the next lenders to come along uh, to either support a purchaser or to refinance the developer on that asset? And um, that's the thing that we're, we're watching really carefully and making sure that there's always an exit from that perspective. I mean, Dave, does that chime with your experience? Well, obviously, you know, you, you cover a big central area across the uh... Uh, the North of England and the Midlands is that are you seeing similar tales? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I think the green premium bit. I, I agree with both Kitty and Will, and it, it kind of comes back to you know what I'd said before in terms of stock availability. Um, I I think there's a certain extent of greenwashing in it because I think you know we've been in a rising market for the last however many years, specifically on industrial. Um, those headline rents have more been driven by institutional factors i would say and land availability and the number of pension funds that have been acquiring direct stock rather than you know occupational um uh, you know occupational factors that have increased the the headline rents um i think there's a lot of people particularly in city center offices where you know as, as, as will said you know to get funding for a new build property you've had to go um, all singing, all dancing in terms of, you know, Briam very good, Briam excellent, Briam outstanding. And, you know, again, in a rising market, because there's been a, a chronic lack of stock, they've had to push the rents effectively to to make the appraisal stack. And, you know, the tech's gone with it. Um, I think the next couple of years are going to be interesting. Um, you know, as, as the, the conundrums that we said as to viability and the EPC regs starting to bite, um, I think a certain amount of the brown discount side will be how much teeth the local authorities have. Um, and, you know, this is not pointing fingers, but again, you know, central government have effectively given it over to trading standards of the local authorities to implement um, EPC legislation and effectively to go out and start fining um, those buildings which are below the threshold. But, you know, in a background of a 
point in time where local governments are getting their budgets cut. Are they really going to have, you know, effectively the inspectors out there to go and start inspecting every single property and going through the EPC registers and start finding people? I don't know. And, you know, that feeds through. So, you know, again, just in terms of the next two years, there's a lot of prop co's, smaller prop co's who, you know, have refinanced two, three years ago, um, who are now getting the stage where I think their portfolios, the backup, they're going to be negative equity. They might have sort of more secondary tertiary assets that can't be um, retrofitted. And, you know, are they going to be able to get finance for it? What does that mean? What does that mean for their portfolios? Do they have to fire sell? Um, I think there's a bit of a way to go until we get to that stage, because I think there's a few factors that need to play out until you know we're at the stage where you can definitively point to something that isn't tradable because of its EPC rating. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, that, and again, I think yeah, I can imagine new property markets and new asset classes, in effect, and 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 new naming of conventions across the property market based upon energy efficiency. But now, now I'm asking you all to. Uh, put your thinking caps on anyway and kitty particularly loves these questions which is around well where do you see commercial property heading over the next five years based upon everything you all know about government funding esg you know developing technology the needs and wants of occupiers will it actually look that much different from today albeit with more solar panels Let's start with you. Let's start with you, Will, in in answering that very very tricky open question. So, uh, the um, environmental sustainability, retrofit, reuse are going to become loads more important, aren't they? It doesn't make any sense uh, from a carbon footprint perspective, knocking down buildings and and starting again every, you know, in the case of offices, probably more frequently than. Uh, than uh, anyone would like to to admit. Um, so I think I think there has to become a focus on that and, and reuse and the way we see things laid out will will take that into account. But the other thing that I think um, towards the tail end of the five years that we'll see is um, a bit more focus on resilience in the occupational use because our climate's changing and and you know whatever we do to keep temperatures down, we have to you know, we have to admit that that's happening. So how uh, how buildings can be built for resilience for the next 20, 30 years, and I'm talking about cooling systems, heating systems and so on, I think, we'll, and, you know, suds and, and water and drainage and so on will, will become a really, um, will become a really key topic that I think will become further to the fore than it has been for a long time. And, and um, of course, the point that... Uh, Kitty touched on earlier on, on green finance. Uh, we see green finance being involved about in about thirty percent of, of uh, real estate finance transactions. That that's really I was surprised actually. That's higher than I thought it was, um, but that's going to become much higher. Um, but requirements for real estate will continue to grow as we replace and refurbish obsolete stock or stock that's becoming obsolete really quickly because of all these questions we've been talking about um and as as an industry we, we'll have to adapt and support occupiers to achieve their objectives and their objectives will become increasingly entwined with the global ambition for net zero so more and more and more focus on yeah. on everything we've just been talking about yeah and uh, dave would would you um 
go along with, with what Will said, or do you think there'll be other uh, amends over the next five years? I think I think it has to change. Um, you know, I think I think the the snowball that is decarbonisation has only just started. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big proponent for it. You know, as I say, morally, um, I can't look my kids in the eye and say I didn't do anything about it. Um, I think there's more people who are getting getting involved and agreeing to that. Um, I mean, generally, I think land availability is going to be the massive problem. Um, I think it doesn't matter who you speak to in terms of house builder or developer, uh, land supply and effectively land bank is going to be the critical factor over the last few years, over the next few years. And, you know, that process itself gets more and more um, automated. You know, we've got all these new GIS and effectively land availability systems in there that are making it easier for people to spot opportunities. I think, you know, in terms of that level of automation, if you're not on board on that as a developer, you'll miss out. You know, local plans are now finally making the way through in terms of that, the the allocations of land. And I think, you know, there won't be anywhere near as many windfall sites as there has been for people to take the low-hanging fruit. So land availability, I think, is going to be a more mid to long-term plan. And that's the reason why everybody's been acquiring Stratland businesses and, you know, effectively growing Stratland businesses when you're a developer. Um, I think... Increased automation is a massive thing. You know, we've we've got the point in terms of electric vehicles. We've got the bits in terms of automation of motorways and everything else that's coming in with it. And I think our infrastructure as a as a country is starting to catch up. Um, you know, again, you've had um, nationalised businesses, industries such as Northern Power Grid that are starting to sort of turn around now and hit things head on. Um, I think that's going to be a little bit of a throttle. As I've said, in terms of, you know, that as we match that up with, um, you know, as, as Kitty was saying, working with occupiers to try and reduce um, energy energy demand as it goes across. I think that's going to be the big throttle is how quickly we can bring these innovations through whilst the general supply and the availability of power acts as a throttle. I think that's a short term. Um, I think that's a short term leave the next two, three years and hopefully as we've seen plans for, you know, all the um, all of the industries themselves as they get through, I think that will start to throttle out two, three years when things catch up. Thanks, Dave. I mean, what what one thing for Quantic Kitty is, I'm conscious of, is that we've spent a lot of the podcast talking about uh, the buildings themselves, rather than obviously the, the the places that they sit within. And clearly, while you can't do very much about something that is already built, clearly, you know, new commercial space ideally would, would advocate this idea of 20 minute neighborhoods i mean kitty you know you work for a uh, an avowed uh, master developer and, and placemaker um would you say that that was one of the key things over the next five years along with some of the things that will and dave have suggested yeah def- definitely and um but i i think um I think sort of one of the things that, that we've touched on a little bit of local authorities, but we haven't really spoken about in terms of its its role of um, really how sort of the commercial property market might change is the role of the planners, um, and um, and I and I think um, that's an area where again there doesn't seem to be sort of great consistency um, across the the local authorities as to how they're approaching um, some of these challenges. 
um, and uh, and there's the the potential for that to be quite impactful in terms of actually what can be viable to be built, um, how the infrastructure that supports that is put into place, and um, and sort of broader considerations of the site as well. So so I think sort of thinking about the the planning side will will be important um but but absolutely look i, I think sort of specifications will change so i think definition of grade a will, will continue to adapt but it, yeah it's broader than the building itself so i think we will start to see people thinking about that a little bit more broadly about the infrastructure that enables the development to come forward you know dave was just talking there about the need for electric um electric charging on site but that drives different power requirements that drives um different um different supporting infrastructure the use of sort of renewable energy on site how can that be um used within the building itself but also potentially sort of put back into the grid um is the sufficient power capacity or do you need to look at sort of private wire type sort of networks on sites and and in reality how do those sort of feed through there's a lot to sort of work through um, and, and sort of the the use of sort of green spaces and and um, making uh, sort of these areas the buildings not just sort of very efficient but also places that people actually want to work in and mm -hmm. um, too so I think sort of thinking more broadly than um, than just the building itself is going to be essential. No, absolutely right, and uh, and and you know you'll get agreement from me on that um, <laughs> as, as ever. <laughs> Uh, but the uh, now this is your chance, by the way, all three of you, to be for your proper soapbox moment here. I'm particularly looking at you, Mr. Travis. Which is, <laughs> which is, if there's if there's one thing you could change out of everything we've discussed tonight and accelerating the path to net zero, or at the very least, decarbonising buildings or reducing emissions, then what would it be? Uh, who'd like to kick me off on that one? Well, you know, I love a soapbox, Tomo. Do you want me to go first? <laughs> yeah, please, provided it's not a red box, uh, red bull soapbox. You don't crash it at the bottom of a hill yet. I, uh, I mean, I, from my perspective, I think the, I mean, COP twenty seven's been as much of an emphasis on this the last, you know, week, two weeks. I think government need to step up, and I, I genuinely do. I think there needs to be more teeth and focus on it. Um, you know, the big part that I've seen is. And I've said previously, business rates, you know, there's a there's a revaluation that's due next year. It hasn't it hasn't touched the sides in terms of anybody trying to link the two together, um, which in my mind is a massive own goal. I think, you know, there has to be more about um, carrot for occupiers and for developers to get onto the path to net zero. You know, it, it shouldn't be up to a local authority to knock 20 years off their path to net zero, which, you know, again, I applaud Leeds for doing it. I really, really do. And I think the more that can be pushed from central government to push and force it through whilst incentivising people out the other, I think that's the only way we get to where we need to get to. Okay, it might be a bit more difficult for government to intervene, given obviously the uh, what was published uh, last week in terms of the autumn statement and what looks like a pretty bleak fiscal landscape. But I agree, if it's a priority for the country, then there ought to be action. Will, I mean, I can, if I can just on, come back Dave. in on that, yeah. Tomo, I I get that, but you can't think short term, and that's my that's my biggest. Um, frustration in terms of government is short-termism and you know effectively the way it works at the moment where it's thinking to the next election cycle we have to think longer 
you know, again, I keep coming back to it is, you know, there's no point in looking to secure people's futures if they don't exist in 20 years, or they don't exist in 30 years. And, you know, we have to think longer term. And, and also, I think the other thing I'd add is that the um, the strategy that the UK set to re to reduce emissions and, and sort of I think they've sort of penciled in sort of on on low carbon investment. The fundamental principle of that is that it's going to ultimately um, generate savings and push us to more efficient technologies. So it's a it, they're still expecting it to pay back. It's not just a, a sort of a meaningless investment. So to, to Dave's point, you know, if they look slightly longer term, it's, it should be relatively easy for them to make the business case for it. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that was just me playing devil's advocate, Dave, because uh, I completely agree with you on, on that. I mean, I think that there will probably be call for a uh, non-partisan uh, climate task force, uh, you know, I, ideally, you know, a separate department from where it currently sits, which is the Department for Energy and Climate Change. Uh, but we'll have to see how that, how that develops over time. Um, Will, yeah, what, what I, I saw perspective. Well, I, well, I saw opinion on this around the office actually, and um, it does come down to really what everyone else has said. Um, well, obviously, my choice was a time machine to set back a bit earlier and uh, try and try and get everything running a bit sooner but of course you'd have been looked at like you were um like you didn't really know what you were talking about and and um like you were slightly mad uh but um yeah the the whole policy vacuum really of of how to get how to get to net zero seems to be the biggest thing around the office that people thought could could and should be addressed i mean i i just see things like the, the minimum energy efficiency standards and the EPC minimums and so on. That's been a consultation for so long. What, why? I just don't understand why, you know, why there isn't more focus on it. Um, and actually what someone said was we are now, we, we're kind of now being led by, or not led by, but European policy has overtaken our policy, which sort of came out of the blocks a bit early on, but, but hasn't really got going in the same way. And, um, following that or, or improving on, on European policy was something that someone picked up as being uh, kind of a way that we should be going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can blame the ministerial merry-go-round for the fact that uh, it's taken so long on those particular standards. Uh, and yeah, I would, uh, given where the situation's ended up, Will, it can certainly not be described as a Brexit benefit, nor in, in all honesty, do I think that any benefits result from Brexit? But anyway, away from the particle, party political broadcast, Kitty, you've got the last word on the subject. Oh, crikey, what, what you, yeah. What would, what, would you, what would you like to see happen uh, to accelerate I, the path to net zero? I feel like this this won't be a surprise to you either, Tom, but I would um, like to remove all the sort of greenwashing bumps that people put out there pretending that they're doing lots of good things. And I'd like everyone just to talk realistically and agree um, some form of, uh, sort of consensus that are moved forwards and, and actually um, sort of focus on, on change rather than ploughing lots of resourcing into generating um lots of uh, different statistics and reports um and i think that might enable us actually to, to put forward some changes dave says for for sort of companies that don't necessarily have the same sort of level of resourcing um so so that's something that i'm very focused on 
absolutely right and not surprised at all that you've said it after all the uh, fundamental building block of good business is honesty uh, but I think that will call it a day there so absolutely fantastic panel uh, I have to say that's my favourite that we've, we've done so far um, Do you say that every time Ian? No, 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 I don't. No, no, not at all. And uh, you'd be you'd be surprised about that, Will. You know, you, I'm, I'm butchering up my panelists, but no, definitely not. That no, was a fantastic discussion. Thank you very much, everyone, for your time. And uh, like I say, uh, this will be shortly downloaded or downloadable uh, via the website and on Google, Apple, Spotify, uh, and any other um, uh, distribution channel that wishes to have the loan advisors on. So thank you very much, everyone. Uh, read the report for everyone who's listening to this uh, podcast again. The final podcast of the year uh, will be running. Will be on uh, predictions for 2023. Uh, one of or two of the panelists that are on here may be on that particular panel. We'll have to see. Uh, but again, thank you very much, everyone, and thanks for your time. Thank Thanks you. very Thanks. much. Hello. See you all. Good evening. Good evening.